Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Hope Matumbu. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. Effective responses to HIV have also been based on protecting the human rights of the most vulnerable and marginalized groups. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer communities, women, young people, sex workers, people who inject drugs, migrants, and people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. However, one group has been left behind. Why aren't people with disabilities included? These are the words from an article, HIV and Sexuality, Why Are People with Disabilities Left Behind?, featured in HIV Australia, a publication by the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. In this show, I speak with one of the two authors, Suzanne, an HIV and disability advocate with a background as a healthcare professional in different local and international health contexts. Let's hear from Suzanne. I've been living with HIV for 26 years and I've been active in the HIV sector and in positive people's organisations at a Victorian, Australian and international level. I've worked in the health sector for more than 30 years in Australia, uh, but also Africa and England. Now I work in the disability sector where very few people know my HIV status. I have sat for eight years on a disability reference group. I also volunteer as a community visitor with the Office of the Public Advocate, monitoring the welfare of disabled residents in group homes. I have a, a fairly unique perspective as a positive woman, healthcare professional, and now working in disability and as an ally to the disabled community. Sometimes this means that I'm the only voice in the HIV community on some issues and especially on disability and HIV. December 1st is World AIDS Day and December 3rd is International Day for People Living with a Disability. Can you tell us a bit about the two-way relationship between HIV and disability? Firstly, everyone knows that if HIV is not treated, people develop AIDS, you know, so including disability. So they remember the severe wasting and debility. They remember blindness from CMV. People could become deaf from the antibiotics that we used. Um, HIV in the brain caused dementia. Nowadays, most positive people on treatment are well productive in getting on with their lives. But there are still many older positive people who are ageing and starting to develop disability. Because most of the early HIV treatments did not cross into the brain, some are starting to develop HIV-related dementia, what we call HAND, H-A-N-D, HIV-associated neurocognitive disorder. And the Alzheimer's Australia um, 
has developed some really great uh, resources on this online. Secondly, having a disability can put a person at high risk of contracting HIV, blood-borne vir- other blood-borne viruses or STIs. So imagine if you were a young person with a disability, but you don't get any sexuality education or HIV prevention information because there is no accessible information. Your parents want to protect you from having sex because they think it's better for you to be ignorant rather than risk you learning about your sexuality and safe sexual, sorry, safe, respectful sexual relationships. Imagine if you were a young disabled person who is questioning your sexuality or gender, or if you come from a different cultural or language background, who would you turn to for information? Some kinds of disability may put people at risk. So cognitive disabilities or mental health issues or psychosocial disability, um, say, for instance, bipolar disorder, could mean that people engage in risky sexual practices or injecting drug practices. HIV in Australia and various other Western nations looks very different to HIV in low-income countries uh, in Africa or parts of Asia, for example. Can you tell us a bit about some of these differences and how people living with HIV and people with a disability are affected in those contexts? In Australia and most Western nations, the HIV community is mainly gay men or men who have sex men with men, some gender-diverse folk, it's probably maybe about 10% heterosexual and positive women about 10%. But, you know, HIV is now a chronic illness because we have effective HIV treatments. In contrast, it's mostly a heterosexual epidemic in low-income countries where about 90% of the world's positive people live. There are more positive people, but not all, who can access first-line um, combination treatment. But when that treatment fails... Very few positive people can access the newer, better and more costly treatments. So it does mean that positive people in low-income countries are at more risk of developing disability because they cannot access um, appropriate treatment. In these countries, HIV is also driven by social, economic and cultural factors. So lacking access to education and health services, lacking in income and sustainable livelihoods, these also fuel gender inequality. All of these threats and challenges that put people at risk of HIV are even greater for people with disabilities, especially the issue of gender-based violence. Let's remember that forced sex increases the risk of HIV infection because of trauma to the genital tract or to the rectum. Women with HIV are at high risk also of sexual violence, but women and girls with disabilities experience even higher levels of sexual violence and abuse. In fact, UNAIDS has identified violence and sexual abuse as the number two reason um, that puts people with disabilities at risk of HIV. Women and girls who are deaf, who cannot speak or who have an intellectual disability are particularly targeted because they cannot tell anyone and they're not considered to be reliable witnesses. So if you think worldwide about the movement against violence against women, this is a 
a particular issue that crosses all cultures and boundaries. The other thing that's a big difference is is the quality of the healthcare services. You know, in Australia, we have fabulous HIV services. You know, people self-select to work in HIV. It's shifted, so we now work in a shared care model between HIV services and the GPs. However, in low-income countries, UNAs has identified stigma and discrimination in healthcare settings as the major cause of people with disabilities being at risk of HIV infection and not receiving also appropriate treatments if they do become HIV positive. Part of this is that healthcare workers are not trained to work with people with disabilities uh, and that's both in resource-poor settings but also in Western countries like Australia. You know, in, if we talk about the four pillars of primary health care, curative services, preventative services, health promotion, the health sector is fine with that. The weakest link is actually rehabilitation and supporting people with disability. In terms of sexual and reproductive health services, tremendous progress has been made for women living with HIV. We can now prevent babies being born infected with HIV. Mothers are more likely to be accessed treatment. So the idea that women with HIV shouldn't have kids because the kids are going to be infected and the mothers are going to die anyway, so why bother? So the prevention of mother-to-child transmission and the rollout of antiretrovirals to mothers is huge progress. The same cannot be said for women with disabilities. They are still that they can't take care of their kids. They'll make poor mothers. They don't have any reasonable livelihoods to look after their kids. So there's a real issue both in the wider community and the healthcare settings against women with disabilities having children. Whether people with disabilities have HIV or not, they have the right to the same healthcare same range, quality and standard of healthcare as anyone else under Article 25 of the UN Convention for the Rights of People with Disabilities. And this includes sexual and reproductive health services. Under Article 23, people with disabilities also have the right to marry and have a family and to decide on the number and the spacing of their kids and the access to age-appropriate information, reproductive and family planning education. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. You were just listening to Suzanne, an HIV and disability advocate with a background as a healthcare professional in different local and international health contexts. We were discussing the relationship between disability, sexuality and HIV. Women's on the line. (laughs) Women on the line. Women on the line. (laughs) and don't forget to also tune into 3cr's exciting lineup of advocates artists and radical disabled activists for 3cr's dedicated 12-hour broadcast as part of international day of people with a disability on monday 3 december 
These programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2018. If you're just tuning in, we're now heading into the second half of my conversation with Suzanne, an HIV and disability advocate discussing the relationship between disability, sexuality and HIV. And in terms of the Australian context, we've seen a lot of progress being made in terms of treatment and the prevention of new infections. Um, But how are people with a disability considered, if at all, in these conversations? I became HIV positive before the advent in 1996 of effective combination therapy. The progress in HIV prevention and treatment has been enormous, but people with disabilities have been left still behind. We've been very lucky in Australia to access the full range of HIV treatments through our pharmaceutical benefit scheme. HIV positive mothers can have babies that are HIV negative. And then there's the breakthrough research showing that positive people taking treatment who have achieved at least three months of undetectable virus levels in their blood cannot infect their sexual partners. This is known as U equals U, which means undetectable virus means untransmissible, brackets sexually. And this is a huge breakthrough for um, combating the stigma and discrimination uh, uh, about people with HIV. Another intervention is PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, so prevention. So someone who's HIV negative can avoid HIV infection by taking daily HIV medication in the same way that women take the oral contraceptive pill to prevent pregnancy. However, HIV and STI prevention and education programs have ignored the fact that disabled Australians are, surprise, sexually active like anyone else, and that some are also LGBTIQ and gender diverse. For example, there has been no peer education program in the deaf community or for the deaf LGBTQ community since the early 1990s. Consider all of the advances that have happened since then. I know of a deaf HIV positive gay man who refuses to use a Nozolan interpreter when he attends the HIV clinic because he's afraid that his HIV status might be disclosed by the interpreter. Incidentally, we see the same problem for um, positive people from cold backgrounds um, who refuse interpreters because of, um, or because of t- disclosure issues. So these are some of the examples for the continued need for community engagement. Unfortunately, because HIV is now managed through medical interventions, through just taking pills we've kind of lost those community development approaches. Australia was the first country in the world to have a national HIV strategy in partnerships with affected communities, so people living with HIV, the gay community, people who injected drugs, sex workers. Previously, there have been links between Australia's positive community and disabled people's organisations, the DPOs. NAPA, which is our National Australian Association of People Living with HIV Australia, used to be a member of the peak disability body, AFTO, Australian Federation of Disability Organisations. But NAPA withdrew from AFTO around about 2012 because positive people are staying well. They're not getting sick and they're not developing disabilities. Another 
issue for me is that none of Australia's national strategies for HIV, sexually transmitted infections, Hep B, Hep C, or the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander bloodborne virus and STI strategy, none of them make any mention of disability in the guiding principle of access and equity. I'm really disappointed that NAPA and the state positive organisations have not pushed for the recognition and inclusion of people with disabilities within the key target populations. The five strategies I spoke about all expired in 2017 and new strategies are currently being drafted. There have been isolated voices like mine in the HIV sector who have called for disability be included. But really this is the time for the disabled community to step up and make their voices heard and demand their inclusion in the new strategies. Disabled community and the positive community live in silos. People with disabilities have probably also, you know, been prioritising the NDIS, the need for transport, for housing, for education, for jobs, for income. The ability to be able to express your sexuality like anyone else is part of what makes you human. So this is the time now for the disabled community to actually lobby to be included in the, in the, the new strategies. I would really hope that positive people's organisations would also be their allies and and support them in this in their, these, these demands. And what about on an international level? I mean, it was four years ago now that the, that Melbourne hosted the International AIDS Conference. Were those conversations being had then, and where are they now? Australia was very proud to host the twentieth International AIDS Conference in two thousand fourteen. You know, it's it partly recognition also recognition of Australia's leadership in HIV responses. I worked with AFTO and international disability activists, local disability and human rights organisations to set up the disability networking zone in the global village. Uh, in the conference proper, there were an unprecedented number of oral, pre- oral presentations and posters focusing on disability, and these can still be downloaded from the 2014 program. However, the Melbourne motto was no one left behind, and people with disabilities were not specifically mentioned as a key population. It was only the former High Court Justice, the wonderful Honourable Michael Kirby, who in his opening speech apologised that he was not a disabled person facing HIV. He had known that it was hoped and urged that a voice would be given on that occasion in the opening plenary, to such a speaker so that truly no one would be left behind and he hoped that those voices would be raised in Melbourne loud and clear. The disability focus continued in 2016 in Durban but it didn't seem to feature very highly in the Amsterdam conference this year. There is a dissonance between the International AIDS Conference, which is actually run by the International AIDS Society, who are the doctors. These are the clinicians, the medical researchers, the scientists. And that's how the International AIDS Conference started off. Later on, there was the introduction of the social scientists and positive people and and, um, affected communities. But basically, the International AIDS Conference is a scientific and medical conference. UNAIDS, on the other hand, identified in its GAP report in 2014 people with disabilities as one of the populations left behind. And I, the, the real difference is that the, the UNAIDS is the umbrella HIV agency that coordinates the relevant HIV responses from all of the different UN organisations whether that's the World Health Organization, the development programs, the um, 
economic programs in like the International Monetary Fund. So UNAIDS actually, I would trust maybe UNAIDS maybe can actually bring along this issue. Um, I think also when the AIDS conference goes to San Francisco in two years' time in 2020, that the disability rights movement there, which is really strong, will will force this issue, the need to include people with disabilities mm. in HIV responses. And I would hope that Australian and other international disability organisations are going to take this up and that Australian positive organisations in the Australian HIV sector also support this at San Francisco because for sure there's going to be a big Australian contingent there. We've already talked about how Australia has been a leadership in terms of uh, its national strategies and approaches of um, harm minimisation and also exemplifying the new paradigm that HIV really forced on us in that you have to link HIV prevention with care. You can't use the traditional strategy of infectious disease control, isolation, detention, quarantine, criminalisation, that does not work for people with HIV and the virus. So, yes, yeah, so Australia has actually been really great as a role model about how we prevent through caring and not preventing through what I call punishment. So Australia has provided strategic leadership in its HIV services, in its HIV and international development programs, such as funding NGOs, strengthening health services, capacity building through partnering Australian peer organisations, so positive people, people who inject drugs, sex workers, with their counterparts in the Asia-Pacific, and especially in Papua New Guinea, which is our nearest neighbour. I am not sure whether... Australia has supported Papua New Guinea's health and HIV programs to be more inclusive of people with disabilities. Likewise, I don't know whether the disability programs that Australia has been supporting in Papua New Guinea have been inclusive of HIV and STIs and bloodborne viruses. There is much to learn from Africa. We often think that learnings are always from the north to the south, from the industrial, industrialised wealthy countries to the low-income resources. However, there has been much to learn from Africa. Durban International Conference in 2000 was groundbreaking. There was a local treatment coalition of South African civil groups to get cheaper treatments. And it was the very first time that the West faced the reality of the devastation of families and communities by AIDS. So Durban marked the beginning of global networks of clinicians, researchers, peers and activists working together. I think it's also probable that um, Africa is leading on the way. Disabled people's organisations are bringing change and making HIV services more inclusive. I would hope to see partnerships between positive people and people with disabilities and their organisations. But the major barriers are that they need to see past the myths and stereotypes that they believe about each other and stop seeing each other as competition for scarce resources and still build bridges to actually work together on the challenges that they face in common. I think also Australia cannot afford to rest on its laurels. Australia is a weirdly weird combination of both developed um, contexts, but also if you consider our remote and regional areas of Australia, that's like living in the third world. You know, to our north, we have Papua New Guinea, our nearest neighbour. So Australia needs to be able to include strategies, resources and services, not only for our well-developed and served populations in the cities, but also in 
our remote locations and our neighbours in the Pacific, especially PNG. And where can people go to find out more information or access services in disability as well as sexual and reproductive health? The Royal Women's Hospital is the go-to place for Victorian women with HIV and for Victorian women with disabilities for their obstetric care and probably also their gynaecological care. They would be the centres of excellence. There are probably clearer pathways for people with HIV, especially women with HIV, to access information and services for sexual and reproductive health. However, I'm not sure whether the, the same pathways are so clear for people with disabilities and what kind of accessible services there are in places like the Family Planning Victoria or the Mary, sorry, the Mari Stopes Clinic. Positive people have often found, often you just need to find the right provider for you. And it might be that people with disabilities, women with disabilities, face the same issues. They... Look, they might prefer to ask their peers or their peer organisations, you know, uh, the DPOs, and ask around where have they found or are there other, other people who've found individual healthcare providers or services which have best met their needs? As we said before, you know, the healthcare providers and mainstream services have not received really comprehensive training in supporting people with disabilities. But maybe you can find some individual who is personally motivated and has developed particular expertise in perhaps particular, you know, um, supporting people with particular impairments. So if you don't get satisfaction in your kind of mainstream sexual reproductive health services, then ask around in your own disability community as to who they would recommend. And just a final point, for what you can do personally for people with HIV and people with disabilities. If a friend or family member discloses to you that they are HIV positive, do not ask them, how did you get it? It is the rudest question anyone could ask, and it's none of your business, not even healthcare workers. It's not even a question that positive people ask each other. If you have a friend or family member who has HIV or who has a disability and they want to become parents, don't judge them. Instead, think about where can they get information? How can you support them to reach their goals and be the best parents they can be. We've come to the end of my conversation with Suzanne, an HIV and disability advocate with a background as a healthcare professional in different local and international health contexts. We were discussing the relationship between disability, sexuality and HIV. This show is dedicated to and acknowledges the work of the late Dr. Paul Chappell, a South African-based disability and sexuality academic and activist. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website 
www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigre. I'm Hope Matumbu and I hope you can tune in again next time. Thank you.